Investments in new online banking platforms and enhanced online authentication solutions are underway as mid-tier institutions throughout the country move forward with compliance initiatives identified in risk assessments conducted over the past year and a half. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and today I'm joined by Michael Wiffles, the Chief Technology Officer of QCR Holdings, a multi-bank holding company in Illinois. Michael, tell us about the banking institutions for which you oversee compliance and security investments. How large are they, and who comprises their primary customer bases? I'm not directly responsible for compliance, but I do participate in oversight of the compliance work. I would tell you we're probably about a $2 billion organization, and uh, we're continuing to grow and perform pretty well in what I think most FIs would say is a very tough marketplace today. Our primary focus is commercial business and commercial business customers, but we do have strong retail segments along with investment, trust, and leasing services. First, we have Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Then we have the Quad City Bank and Trust, and they are located on the Illinois-Iowa border. And then we have Rockford Bank and Trust, which is in Rockford, Illinois. And then just a little north, we have M2 Leasing, which is out of Brookfield, Wisconsin. Now, Michael, over the last two years, risk assessment has been the focus for your institutions as well as most institutions throughout the country. What key areas of risk were identified during those assessments, and how did they vary among the institutions you work with? I would probably start by saying we have to be a little broad. I think first you'd have to acknowledge that changes in the threat landscape, whether they're internal or external, are going to drive a review of an institution's risk posture. You know, So I think when that happens, you're going to see institutions reevaluate their risk posture and take appropriate actions for that. I like to make the point only because past and current conditions and the increased stress associated with those that we've all witnessed over time gain a lot of our attention. But with that covered, you know, I can start by saying cybersecurity and geopolitical risks you know, and it's interesting, we probably wouldn't have had to talk about the geopolitical portion of this a couple of years ago, and now we're finding out that we're having to marry the two together. But I certainly believe everyone should pay increasing attention to the risk of cyber attack from both state and non-state type organizations. I would say it includes the oversight of mobile banking as well, not just online banking, and the risk that come to mobile banking to the customers and the banks as well. The next thing I'd say is probably regulatory changes. Those kind of introduce new strategic and operational challenges for FIs today. Sometimes if those things aren't coordinated well through the institution, they can create organizational risk. They can create inefficiencies, um, which draw down on many different things, but at the end of the day, the inefficiency draws down on expense. They could, for example, impact business models and profitability if not handled right. And of course, they could change risk postures. You know, At the end of the day, if they consume more labor or banks are already stretched, so it can become challenges for the banks to be effective. I believe liquidity or funding and collateral type management is another area that banks are paying attention to. Banks are looking to decrease risk, probably through addressing capital. Finally, I'll close probably with the economic conditions and the marketplace uncertainties. It would probably I'd be remiss without mentioning that. Loan growth is going to continue to be a challenge for banks, so we'll see more exploration for value-added fee-based services that customer would be wishing to pay for. Any other areas that we can take advantage of to grow revenue until the market starts to turn and recover. Michael, the investments that are now being made to enhance some of the online security within your institutions and ensure conformance with the FFIEC's updated authentication guidance are just now taking place. What constraints prevented QCR from making these investments sooner? Timing, I'd say, was probably the the most important piece of that. We're like many FIs that take advantage of outsourced services, and as a result, all of us depend um, on those providers to keep up with the regulatory changes. So that means many of the providers control additions of features into products that would enable the guidance. So over the last year or so, we finished a review of other provider solutions than our incumbent. 
And so we decided to work with an alternative ASP provider for the commercial online banking channel. And much of the additional guidance that we want to put in place, Tracy, can be addressed uh, by that solution and things we've already done today. So really, timing was probably our biggest obstacle. And then what about the challenges from a budgetary standpoint? What types of constraints and existing contracts with core service providers pose challenges? We really, or I personally, have not experienced a budgetary constraint today that would come, you know, I would say, out of our executives or out of our boards. They've been very supportive of the operational groups in the organization and the kinds of things that they need to do to accommodate guidance in the manner that like to see that accommodated. So in addition, our, our relationships with our core providers have been very good as well, and I've seen them to be very supportive of, of our needs, which include them adjusting to changing market conditions. So, And then tell us, Michael, about the changes QCR is making where stronger authentication is concerned. We've made a few, just like probably other institutions. You know, we use VASCO tokens today for customers who submit ACH and wire transactions. You know, for other customers that don't do that, they use Passmark. You know, it's a little less intrusive for a customer to look at a picture and go through that authentication process. Now, we've been doing those kinds of things for a while now, pretty successful, but probably not much different than what other institutions have done there. We've also been working with Iron Key over the last year, so they've been very responsive and they've adapted their business model to move from a hardware solution to a software solution, which is something that's been pretty accepted, you know, in our customer base and with our treasury teams. They're also looking at deploying that in other platforms, which helps expand the area that we can use that product with our customers. We do expect customers to use the Iron Key solutions who are ACH and wire customers. It's, again, it's just another way to mitigate or reduce the risk. And frankly, it's a step that helps us further reduce account takeover activity. We're also talking with Guardian Analytics. Guardian has come a long way, and they've got a very interesting product. You may remember a while ago in another interview similar to this, I had mentioned that I really don't like putting product out with our customers that are intrusive to what they do on a daily basis. I think that a model that allows detection and analysis and alerting from the back office is a better answer. I think that they've got a solution that, while it's not in the core system, I think they have a solution that will do that in the back office and make it transparent to our customers. And then what about encryption, Michael? What enhancements are being made there? We've done quite a few things in encryption. So, you know, we use encryption on laptops today. We're a PGP site. We've been very happy with that solution. We do a lot of email-type encryption where our employees can force encryption, and then we've got a rule set on the backside for a mail message. If it goes out and meets the rule set, encryption enforced. We apply uh, encryption on our digital backups in our vault, and so we've been very happy with that. We apply encryption on our SANs to protect the data that's sitting there in the SAN environment today, and so far we've been very happy with that. You know, I think you have to, to look at encryption and try to find the areas where you can mitigate the most risk down and apply it where it makes sense. And I think we've got a pretty broad cut of where we use that today. In the wireless world where people are traveling, we obviously use VPN encryption services and we're a Verizon shop and they've got a good solution there as well. So I think you just have to continue to look at your own technology landscape and determine if you're addressing all the right things or if you need to start applying encryption to new things. Now, Michael, you've noted in conversations that we've had previously that QCR is transitioning or considering to transition its online banking platform to ensure more modularity as well as the ability to complement the platform with enhancements. What can you tell us about the platform you expect to invest in? 
we're not quite ready to let you know who we have selected yet. We hope to firm that up here in the next uh, 45 days. But we've looked for a solution that has an intuitive interface for our customers. We want something that's easier for our customers to use, something that allows them the ability to customize their sessions to their roles, which makes them more efficient and more effective in their jobs. Clearly, we've looked for something that's got dual controls, improved reporting. We want to see alerting for both the customer and our back office organizations, and we'd like to see that alerting extended to our treasury management teams who have the direct relationship with the customers today where it makes sense. We also were looking for a commitment to a partner that would enable us to give customers one view into their banking relationship with us. You know, and that means a single sign-on interface was a key component of our decision. You know, we think we've got a pretty good provider that does that today. So we're still doing what we call deep dive due diligence with that provider, but so far we've been pretty happy with what we've seen, and we think our customers will be just as pleased with it. And why was transitioning the platform the best solution? The transitioning or moving away from one provider to another was pretty difficult. We're pretty happy with who we're with today and pretty supportive of who we're with today and vice versa. I think that they would say the same thing about us. We just had a timing conflict. They weren't quite there yet with a solution. We were ready to make a change and wanted to move on to do that. And so timing got in the way. I think for both of us to probably continue to keep our solution integrated with that incumbent. We wanted to be able to address market competition. We wanted to be more competitive with our solution. We wanted to address some of the customer needs that we heard. We wanted to address efficiencies in the back office. Clearly, regulatory guidance was a component of that, and uh, our provider uh, wasn't just quite there yet. We were ready. And then what about the difficulty of changing or transitioning an online banking platform? Was that a tough sell internally? We're going to learn a lot about that when we finally pull this trigger with with the provider that we've selected. We're experiencing some of that right now. You know, we're going to have to have an interface to the core system, and so there's going to be some things we're going to have to work through there. There's going to be reporting that's been automated today that we're going to have to automate on the new provider system. So we've got those things to work through. We're going to have to convert all of our existing customers onto the new system, and we've talked about two or three different ways to try to do that that would accommodate our customers, meaning they would have less work to move over. The same would be true for Treasury to try to accommodate Treasury so they don't have as much work, you know, and then our back office folks. And so it's almost like, you know, a new enrollment process. It's almost as if the customers are going to be treated as brand new customers. And as a result, you know, we're going to have to enroll them under the new system, train them under the new system, and get them comfortable with it. And we all know that change isn't always easy for a lot of people, whether it's a good change or not, not always easy. And I think we're going to learn a lot about what it's going to take to get that done. And then, Michael, does relying on more vendors give QCR more control rather than relying solely on the solutions that are offered by a core processor, for instance? I wouldn't characterize this as a best-of-breed shop, meaning that we would continue to look away from our core provider for other solutions. We've got a commitment strategically with that provider, and to the extent that they've got solutions out there that work well for us, we certainly want to stay there. This was just a timing issue, and uh, we wanted to move on, and it made more sense to do it. I really don't don't see this becoming a control challenge for us going forward. I think if you're going to be a best of breed shop, you know, you're going to have to think about the control landscape and what it means to have to deal with those controls across, you know, many providers versus having a very short list of providers to do that with. And does working with more providers create new concerns? 
Well, it creates more work. Accounts payable is going to have a new supplier that they're going to have to deal with payments on. Our back office is going to have a new provider that they're going to need to support from an online banking perspective. Our treasury teams are going to have someone new out there as well that they're going to have to have a relationship with. Risk and compliance you know, are going to be affected by that choice. And so it's the same kind of situations arise there. So I think those are the kind of things that happen when you add someone new to the list. And this is exactly why I say we don't see ourselves and don't expect to be a best of breed shop. We want to stay as consolidated as possible. It's just that the timing at this particular point for this answer just wasn't good for both of us. And Michael, have you had to expand your security fraud and IT teams and perhaps even your treasury department as a result? I think our bank always look at their treasury staff to determine if they have the right staffing needs in place and then they address that accordingly. We're a very relationship-driven bank, which means we really like to be out and touching our customers. And so I know our banks well enough to know that if they can't keep that relationship model in place because they're stretched on staffing, that they would certainly handle that. I think when it comes to fraud, IT teams, we certainly have seen expansion in our audit and in our risk staff here in the last couple of years, and that's just probably due to the changes in the landscape and the regulations that are happening out there. On our IT team side, we reevaluate how big we are and how many people we have and the roles they play almost annually. You know, we like to make sure that we're staffed accordingly to support all the internal staff and that they're getting the kind of services they want. We survey our customers every month, Tracy, to get feedback on whether or not we're doing a good job or not, and that gives us time to react by doing it monthly, and so far we've done very, very well there. On the IT security side, the same kind of things. You know, we go through multiple audits all year because we have three different banks. They're probably 10 months out of the year we've got somebody looking at us. Now, Michael, earlier you were talking about Guardian Analytics and some of the back office support that is available through the solutions that they provide. What steps have you taken to ensure customer convenience is not adversely impacted by enhancements being made on the back end? Yeah, well, I think the answer is is we are looking at what steps we can take with the solutions that we have out there to try to eliminate some of the intrusive products that are in place. So when you look at multi-factor authentication or you look at things like Iron Key, and I'm not picking on Iron Key, but as an example, those are all things that live out in the customer's environment. So by my definition, they're intrusive because they've got to be there. The customer has to take some action to use those. So we have a product in the back office that helps us do vetting of ACHs, and it does behavior analytics and applies rules to them, so it generates its own suspicious transaction alert. And when you look at Guardian and the kind of things that it offers, what intrigues me about the combination of those two in a new online banking product is our ability to reevaluate our risk on what we're doing in front of the customer to determine if, in fact, we've got good enough controls in place from the online banking product and from companies like Guardian and the product we have today on the back office side with LaRue, if it gives us the ability to reevaluate our controls and take some of that intrusiveness away from the customer. So that's coming, but we're hoping to be able to look at that and make some of those decisions. So is customer education a concern? It's always been a concern for me. I think I've been one of the funds that's been an advocate of getting more and more education out in front of the customers, uh, both commercial and retail. I just don't see enough of a push in the marketplace for that to happen. We've partnered with a company called BVS out of Cedar Rapids and been able to develop a very nice educational product that our commercial customers, if they choose to, can become a subscriber to and learn more about account takeover and the kind of things you know that they can do 
to protect themselves. And the changes that you're making, are these geared more toward commercial customers versus retail customers? We are a commercial bank first, and so we are very focused on the commercial channel and the kind of things that we can do there to help them and help ourselves be effective and efficient. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything on the retail channel. There are some things that we are doing on the retail channel today, but I, you know, I would say that it's commercial channel first. And Michael, I know that you've noted that your final decision is expected to be made in 45 days. When do you anticipate the rollout to be complete? The date for that to be complete is really going to be based, I think, on the staffing resources that our banks are going to have to be able to go out and touch our customers and get them trained. You know, And I've heard many different kinds of approaches that Treasury has been thinking about. I think until we determine what approach they would like to take, it's going to be hard for us to look at the rollout. But I would anticipate this rollout to probably take 6 to 12 months. And then, Michael, before we close, what advice could you offer to other institutions? I think first and foremost, you've got to look at the products that you have and determine if they're competitive in the marketplace. And if they're not, you need to start looking for something that helps you become more competitive. I also think you have to take a look at changes in technology for the products you have or changes of technology that you need to apply to help address guidance that's been released out there today. I think you have to balance the guidance. You have to decide how much of that guidance makes sense to you. Do a risk assessment on that and determine of that guidance, you know, what things you want to do and what things you want to wait on doing. Lastly, I think the threats that are out there today are pretty complex. We've seen these DDoS attacks just continue to be pervasive in our industry and we've seen them target banks. I would anticipate that they may want to target other type of institutions in the future to be able to demonstrate their abilities. So I think you have to take a look at the kinds of technologies available to you or available to your outsourcer that could be applied to help protect you from those kinds of things. And we know that we've seen these happen against very large, very sophisticated, very capable institutions, and they have struggled to protect themselves. Michael, I want to thank you again for your time this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me. I hope that this has been beneficial to both you and the readers. Again, we've just heard from Michael Wiffles of bank holding company QCR Holdings. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.